Today's episode of the Andy Staple Show is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think college football tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can also save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome to the Andy Staple Show, and I. This was one of those days. Wait, do you, do you hear that? You hear that sound? Nicole Auerbach, do you, do you I, hear I this, do, this sound? I do, I do, and uh, it's it, you know it has not sounded since I have been on this podcast with you, but I assume it means that is the thing. That is the things are happening, Cyrus. I, I was gonna say it's because probably not a good thing. For most teams. Many things are happening. Well, no, like, it's a bad it's a, thing for most teams. Yeah, it's teams. a bad thing. I mean, there was a lot of things that a lot of fan bases are probably very, very frustrated about. I have a list of things. I feel like we should just go down the list at this point because so many things have happened that it's a lot to cram into one show, but we're going to try. Okay. So let's start with thing number one. And, and no, we're not Dr. Seussing this. Tua Tungavailoa hurt his ankle. Tua Tungavailoa hurt his ankle at the end of last season. Mm -hmm. Nick Saban says he's probably out a week or two. They play Arkansas next week, then have an open date, then play LSU. Should Alabama fans be freaking out right now? Well, they definitely shouldn't against Arkansas because I'm pretty sure Nick Saban could put me in at quarterback and things would be fine against the Razorbacks next week. Um, I, I do think if there is any silver lining, it is the timing that you do have a couple of weeks for this to hopefully heal up. Um, but, you know, we saw this in the SEC title game, and we saw it at various points out of season. When Tua isn't 100%, when his ankle is not 100%, he is not the same quarterback. And and it's not just him running the ball, but it's it's scrambling, it's moving around the pocket, it's planting his foot when he's throwing. It's, it's a lot of different pieces to all the things that make him a great quarterback. But to me, with the way that the schedule falls right now, I'm not that worried. I'm not sounding the major alarms. I don't know if you have if that sound goes any louder, but I, I'm not quite there yet. No, I'm not either because it sounds like he's going to be all right. When we saw him walking down the tunnel and that shot's going to get replayed over and over and over again, he didn't look like he was visibly limping. I know Molly McGrath said later it looked like he was limping, but you know, I, we don't know the extent of it. And we know what Nick Saban has told us. And usually he's pretty, you know, shockingly open about injuries compared to most college coaches. Yes. But, you know, we don't they, – they said it was fine last year too, and, and it clearly wasn't fine yes. some of that time. So I, I am a little concerned there. I, I am interested because Mac Jones came in, played pretty well against Tennessee. There were a couple balls early that, that looked like he just didn't have, you know, the rhythm with his receivers yet. He'll obviously get all the, no, the the snaps with the ones this week. My guess is against Arkansas, he looks a lot smoother. Again, I probably would look pretty smooth against Arkansas. So That's true. I mean, I, again, like I think the way that this is falling and the timing is not bad. That's why I'm not in the sky is falling mode, just because we don't know how serious it is, and the timing of this 
seems to be better than when he was struggling with this last year, what they needed him to do at various points in the year. But I do think, you know, it was telling the way that they initially handled it um, because I was at the Missouri game last year, which is where he first went in the tent. And it first became, you know, kind of a nagging thing. And again, they were downplaying it for a little yeah. while. But this was pretty clear. Like, I mean, he he left. He went into the locker room. The parents were down. They were out. They, You know, like they were taking all the appropriate precautions and showing that it was serious. And so I, I think that that was part of the reason maybe why, you know, Nick Saban was pretty transparent about it because it is a big deal and it is serious and they don't want to screw this up. Um, but like I said, I mean, it's going to be interesting. They've got a couple weeks now to get ready for that monster LSU game. Um, I do think it'll affect the way that we talk about that game, the way that our expectations are set for Alabama in that game. Um, but, I, I, you know, again, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that he'll be fine because college football is better when Tua is healthy. Yes, and we want a full-strength Tua against a full-strength Joe Burrow. Yes, and maybe now, fully close. Joe Burrow's got to play Auburn. Yes, not yeah, a little little crack never hurt anybody. Wait, wait, crack kills. That's true. Well, I mean, but I'm just saying, like he, he survived. Maybe we need some high waisted pants. <laughs> Uniforms were in bad shape today, all over <laughs> all over college football. But let's let's go to an, another place where the sky is falling at the moment. Uh, I'm sure the Badgers have arrived back in Madison after uh, champagne started popping earlier today. Illinois took it to them. And there were things, you know, you could call this a look-ahead game and, oh, they were just looking ahead to Ohio State. There were some moments that looked like Illinois was just flat-out dominating Wisconsin up front. And I didn't think I'd ever see that. Of all the games that are not Ohio State on this schedule this year, this was not one I was worried about. And I don't really even know where to start on this. I mean, I'm writing, you know, I, I write the decisions that define the day on mm -hmm. Saturday nights. And so it's on our site today. And to me, the most stunning thing, and I just, my, my jaw dropped when it happened, happened a couple times. And then obviously there was the interception, but why was Jack Cohn throwing the ball? Right. Why are you throwing in that situation? Why are you throwing the ball? You're off? Wisconsin. Do you know who? Run the ball. You have the best running back in the country. He's averaging over six and yards he, per carry. That's two and you get a first down. Go. And he did just fumble, but that's okay. Jonathan Taylor has earned the, the benefit of the doubt. You are Wisconsin. Run the ball and win the game. Unbelievable. But so to me, this, that was that was a decision because it made no sense. I mean, it was a spectacular interception. The catch itself was amazing. But you shouldn't yes. even be in that position. Well, and, and what happened, and not just the decision-making, but like I said, the physical nature of – yes. Illinois' last couple scoring drives gives me serious concerns about whether Wisconsin can stay on the field against Ohio State. Well, I'll tell you this. I, I was at the Northwestern Ohio State game on Friday night, and one of the main takeaways, because that was the first time I'd seen the Buckeyes up close in person, one of the main takeaways for me and for everyone else in that press box who had not seen Ohio State up close was that we didn't think it was going to be that close against Wisconsin. And, you know, you talk to people in Northwestern. Northwestern played Wisconsin pretty well. You talk to some of the staffers. You talk to people in the athletic department. They're thinking the same thing. They're looking at Ohio State and saying, holy crap. You know, th this is a team that is a lot better, um, it, you know, just, just head and shoulders above 
everyone we've seen, even other Buckeye teams we've seen in the last couple of years. We're going to get deeper into that game later. We're going to have Jesse Temple, our Wisconsin beat writer, on to explain exactly how Wisconsin lost to Illinois and, and what happens next. But, Nicole, I want to stay in the Big Ten and go to Happy Valley, where it looked like Penn State was going to run Michigan out of the building. And then that game suddenly got very interesting in the second half. Uh, Shea Patterson, and he basically throws a touchdown pass that should have allowed them to tie the game. Poor Ronnie Bell it drops it, was crying on the sidelines. It was awful to watch. Yeah, it was, um, man, I, you know, I, I hate to see, you hate to see players crying. Like, this is like during the NCAA tournament when you see, you know, a buzzer beater go mm-hmm. in and you see the bench on the other time. Like, it is just crushing. And, and we love sports, but we hate that part. And that was really tough. And you had, I think it was a backup quarterback. Someone was in his ear saying we would never have been in the position without you. And, and you know, that doesn't mean anything. But I was, I was, and, it, and it's true. Bell was very good. Yeah. During the the rest of that comeback, so yeah. It, but he's right. I, you know, it, one thing I, I came away from that game more optimistic about Michigan than I have been all season. Yes. And I did not think that that was possible, especially with the way that the game started. But Shea Patterson did a whole lot more than we've seen him do. Um, they moved the ball with ease. I mean, this is a pretty good Penn State defense. There are some really terrific athletes there. Um, so I'm coming away thinking, okay, actually, like this is a team that can really salvage its season. I mean, you know, we're not talking college football playoff here, but this is a team that's better than we have been taught, the way that we have been looking at them. I would agree with that. I They could have quit, and they didn't. And the comeback looked good, and, and it looked like Josh Gaddis – kind of figured out how he should use Shea Patterson, which is a good thing. And that seemed to open up the run game a little bit, too. I do wonder how much of it is, who is Josh Gattis more familiar with than, than Brent Pry, right. who he worked with for years and years. But I do think the way they were playing in the second half, you put them in Michigan Stadium against Notre Dame, mm-hmm. they can hang in that game. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, let's not look towards the end of the schedule when they've got the Buckeyes. But, yeah, Notre Dame – Michigan State, like like some of the other teams on that schedule, these other rivals that are not, you know, the team in Columbus, those are games that are now going to be interesting instead of looking at them and going, oh, my God, I can't believe we have to play the rest of the season. That is not necessarily – I actually thought that that was something that was across the board really interesting on Saturday. You had teams like Boston College. You had teams like Virginia Tech. All these Mm -hmm. teams that people – like us and outsiders have written off, right? The season's over. What a disappointment. Um, you know, basically like, you know, why are they even playing these games? And the players are not quitting. And there, there were some surprising results. Michigan, the way that they played that game was a surprising result to me. Well, you mentioned Virginia Tech. So let's go to Blacksburg where history was made yes. on Saturday. The first game to use the new overtime format for those who didn't watch, because it was deep down on ACC Network Extra, uh, some like local Fox, I think it was like a, a Fox Sports regional sports network that it was on, that I found it on on my TV. But it was incredible. So when you get to the fifth overtime, each team just goes for two. And so we got two overtimes worth of that. It's basically two-point conversion penalty kicks. Yes. It's my new favorite thing ever. Okay, so that was also in the decisions because college football decided to go to this. Um, and then some of the play calling in there. But I thought I was going to hate it. Like, I really thought that, like, the, the, the 
Texas A&M LSU finish last year was in part maybe my favorite game of the whole season because it was so bizarre and it was it, you know everyone felt loopy at like two in the morning when this was happening and I thought you would lose some of that kind of the crazy energy that comes with like these extended overtime games but then I realized that it's more like a fifth set tie break at the U.S. Open in tennis like it's yes, more like that where similar. it's really just about preserving like the bodies of the people playing in it um, and to me, I actually like. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty quick. It was interesting. I, I timed it. The the fifth and sixth overtimes took about six minutes total because obviously you're only running one play. Um, but it, it's it's not even like oh man, like you know it's going to be decided on something fluky. When you get to that point, both teams have had like a zillion chances to win that game. Yeah, well that's a yeah. You you've given up forty two points already. I mean, what, what's right. what's a couple more? But it, it was it was so quick and so exciting and so kind of whiplash. And, and people were getting mad because they were running down to the other side of the field. I don't mind that. Plus, uh, in certain stadiums, one end zone is different than the other. Like if you're at Penn State, going into the student section versus going into the other side is very different. So I you, you keep doing that. And listen, I'm here for that. I know we're only going to see it once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm here for it though. I I very much enjoyed it. Now a, a game that that was really tight late did not go to overtime thanks to Dicker the kicker again. Les Miles and Kansas almost beat Texas at Texas. Oh man! I mean, I thought they were going to do it. I really, really did. But you know, when they got the two points, when they, the two point it conversion, it was easy. And then you're looking, you're like, all right, there's still a minute left. Like, is that too much time left? But also, they're winning. They're beating Texas. All the momentum is in their direction. Um, yeah, I, I still can't believe they lost that game. And and I still can't believe that uh, Tom Herman called that timeout with eight seconds left and ran another play. I thought we were going to see Dicker the kicker at that point. Um, and that could have backfired, too. So there was a lot of craziness. Listen, listen, Kirby Smart says you should always run another play when you can. Listen. Before kicking the field goal. We discussed this. No. It <laughs> has a lot. There are a lot of things that can happen that are not good in that situation. But we have seen we have seen all sorts of weird things happen in those types of things. We've seen delay of games. We've seen um, penalties. We've seen, you know, just loss of yardage. You've seen, you know, one bad, one tipped ball, one underthrown pass. Like, so many things can go wrong, and it worked for them. They get an extra – I mean, he might have still made the kick, listen. But, you know, they get an extra six yards, and he kicks the game-winning kick. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they are lucky, lucky that they won that game and that they were bailed out because Kansas was doing things to that Texas defense that we saw them do to Boston College's defense, like just slicing and dicing. Yeah, I, this this makes me very concerned for Texas's ability to beat Baylor – for their ability to beat Iowa State. I, I, I'm not sure their defense holds up against Brock Purdy. So you're saying you're not immediately penciling them back, back in for a rematch in the title game mm. like we thought No. entering the year? No. Okay. And I, I'm not sure I want to see them trying to tackle CeeDee Lamb again. Yeah. I'm into, I just, I'm into undefeated Baylor. Like, I, that is a good team. Matt Rule's a great coach. I, I'm into that team. I'd like to see that. Possibly that was a, that was a close game until Baylor blew it open with a scoop and score. And look, every time we think somebody's going to get because I mean Texas Tech pushed them to the brink mm-hmm. in in Waco. So I, I think somebody probably gets them before Oklahoma, but 
they're the one that would really scare me if I'm Oklahoma because of the way they play, because of how tough they are, yep. and, and because they can make some things happen on the defensive side of the ball. So I, I'm, I'm really interested in that one. But I, I did want to get your opinion since d- in your decisions column, do you go over Willie Taggart's decision to go for a 50-yard field goal in a driving rain rather than go for it on fourth and six? So um, that did not make the cut because there were other so many things, things happening. So many things happening. <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, that is a very curious decision in that weather condition um, outside of the distance. I mean, like, I, you know, it's just that changes so many things and it puts so many things at risk. I mean, I, I don't know where these coaches are coming up with the way that they're deciding when to go for these long field goals and when to go for fourth down, because it seems like they're all making the exact wrong decision every single time. Well, this I mean, it was fourth and six, so it wasn't an obvious fourth down decision, but because of the way it was raining. And remember, there's enough time to get the ball back because, in fact, Florida State did get the ball back, and its last two plays were James Blackman fumbling the snap. Okay. Two let times me just, let, let's, in let's a row. Let's just say this. The, the ACC is... The ACC is a beautiful disaster, and we should just appreciate it for that. Oh, yeah. These are not going to be highlights that are going to yeah, be I... positive when we watch the highlights of these games. They are going to be weird, and they're going to be wacky, and someone's probably going to mess something up to create the victory for the other team. So I didn't know if we were going to get this low on my list of things that were happening, but this is one of those things that on another day would have been one of those, this is all we're talking about kind of things. Georgia and Kentucky were scoreless at halftime. Georgia goes on to win 21 to nothing, but basically all the issues and, and gripes everybody had about Georgia's offense last week against South Carolina still there. Nothing really changed. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be interesting. I, I feel like the reason that that is not the dominant thing outside of all the other things on your list, and especially Wisconsin, is that I think when Georgia blew it against South Carolina, it kind of validated people like myself and and possibly yourself who maybe weren't necessarily sold on this Georgia team as a true national championship contender. Maybe we're buying Florida. Maybe we're buying, um, you know, LSU. But maybe we're buying Florida to come out of the East anyway. So to me, it was easy. Okay, now we can write them off. Like now now they are basically, for all intents and purposes, out of the picture. We don't have to talk about them. And, you know, I mean, it, it, I, maybe that's why. I'm trying to figure it out. Because otherwise, like, there's there's some serious concerns. I mean, there, there are enough fan bases out there, and I would say this is probably one of them, that are very disgruntled. And the things that are bothering them are things that they have been kind of griping about all season long, all off season long, worrying about, and maybe they felt like they were nitpicking earlier in the season. Now you're like, hey, these are actually problems. Like Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, and now he's leading the ACC in interceptions. Like those were nitpicky things that now are fair fair things to talk about. Yeah, there's a slight whiff of 2014 Florida State coming off Clemson right now. But we'll see. The the Georgia thing for me, though, I, I was thinking, okay, They lose to South Carolina basically in the same week of the season that they lost by 20 at LSU last year. And then they got all that fixed, and they actually beat Florida pretty badly. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, they'll get it fixed, and then they'll go to Jacksonville, and that'll be a very good game. 
Now I'm starting to wonder because Florida, without its two best pass rushers, goes to Columbia, beats South Carolina in a game that was very close for a while, but Florida pulled away at the end. Mm -hmm. And now, because I thought, okay, Georgia with that talent, with that offensive line, with that defensive depth, they're going to handle Florida no problem. But now, no, I I think I'm definitely leaning toward Florida in that game. And I I realize two more weeks until then, but I, I don't know that some of this stuff's getting fixed for Georgia. Right. And, and it's just it's so strange because, you know, what was the criticism of, of Jake from the last couple of years? Game manager, right? right? Like he's not going to necessarily wow you, but he's the one he's contributing to the mistake. I mean, like he, he personally made mistakes that cost them against South Carolina. Like he is not able to be that kind of steadying force that is very reliable. Um, and there's there's a lot of different reasons for what's going on with their offense. But it's that was a constant. That no matter what, even if they were winning low-scoring games, like it was a thing that was happening, um, and so I think that was a really eye-popping result, and and definitely a cause for concern if you're a Georgia fan. And you know, Florida just continues to impress me. Like I was not a believer until until last week, and then I saw what they did against South Carolina. Like this is a good team, and they're tough, and they stay in these games. I really like Kyle Trask. Like I, I just think he is steady, he is consistent, he opens up things offensively for them. Um, so I, again, like I know it's early. I know they haven't played Georgia yet. Things could change in a couple of weeks. But to me, that's the team that's coming out of the East in the SEC title game. Nicole Auerbach, you are in your sixth overtime of work. We're just doing <laughs> two point conversions now. Very, very. Late. What does that mean? Do we like? Do we take like fireball shots in between? We really should. I think of, that would acts of work. We we should for this podcast. I mean, we record it like a. You know, the crack of dawn, basically. I mean, well, no, it's more like around midnight, one o'clock. We sh- we should we should be taking shots. Fireball would heat up the takes. Fireball, Christ! How dare he lose yes. a game? We could do like a power hour, and then by the end of the podcast, like twenty minutes in, we'd just be like kind of slurring our words, falling asleep, one one or the other. Nicole, you, you or hot yeah, takes. We don't want to get into the last time I did power hour. It it ended very poorly, <laughs> but. Yeah, we, we okay. If college football, we'll, we'll make, let's make a promise. If college football gets as drunk on another day as it did Saturday, we have to do the podcast drunk. Deal. Done. Absolutely. Love it. Done. Love it. Nicole, Done. get back to work. You can go to bed at like 6 a.m. Okay, thanks. My sixth overtime. <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. We welcome Jesse Temple from a Quality Inn and Suites in where? Champaign, Illinois. Oh, Champaign is popping. Jesse covers Wisconsin, so the folks he talks to normally not real happy right now. Jesse, what was the scene as the field goal goes through, Lovey Smith and his beard are celebrating, and they start playing jump around? as Illinois has beaten Wisconsin. It was wild and totally unexpected, and it was adding insult to injury by playing Wisconsin's song, what it's become Wisconsin's song in the last couple decades. And if you're outside of Illinois' locker room, I I can't imagine anybody thought this result was possible. Wisconsin was a 30-and-a-half-point underdog, and according to ESPN stats and information, that's the biggest upset in a Big Ten conference game since 1982 when Northwestern was a 32-point underdog against Minnesota and and the Wildcats won. So it was stunned silence for Wisconsin. The guys were walking off the field, and they're either holding their helmets 
or just kind of staring off into the distance like can you really believe this just happened because for as bad as wisconsin played the badgers still should have won that game based on where they were at in the fourth quarter they had a, a two possession lead and still couldn't close the deal well that's the thing i kept watching that game and thinking okay they're going to pull away and when they got nine points ahead given the way their defense has played all season i figured they got this there's no way illinois comes back from this but it seems like there were a couple of critical mistakes along the way there yeah that's exactly what happened so wisconsin's defense came up with a huge fourth and one stop at the illinois 45 yard line with eight minutes 11 seconds left and then wisconsin's got the ball they're driving into illinois territory jonathan taylor who's been very reliable this season fumbles the ball at the illinois 17 yard line and he had already gained enough yardage for the first down and he said afterward that he was fighting for extra yardage, but you have to be aware when you're the ball carrier that people are going to try and rip the ball out from any number of angles. And obviously that was a huge play because Illinois went down the field, scored a touchdown, and then it's 23-21. But even then, Wisconsin still has a chance to seal the deal. You just you pound the rock, you get some first downs, you make Illinois call their timeouts. And the way Wisconsin has played Prior to this game, you would think, okay, that, that's probably going to be good enough. But Jack Cohn throws an interception. It was only a second interception on 167 throws this season. And it was just catastrophic because Illinois went right down the field, got into field goal range, and buried the 39-yarder as time expired, and Wisconsin never got the ball again. So did anybody see this coming? I know there there've been some talk this week about, hey, guys – you know, Wisconsin hasn't exactly played the best offenses in the world this season. But the thought was this defense is fairly impenetrable against mediocre to bad teams. What did Illinois do that was different? Or did they do anything different? Well, they went up-tempo a little, especially early on. And I don't know that Wisconsin had quite seen what, what Illinois did. But, but even still, I think... You have to give Illinois credit, obviously, for the way the Illini played, considering they came in on a four-game losing streak. Wisconsin made a bunch of uncharacteristic mistakes. Um, so some of this was Illinois, some of this was self-inflicted. Wisconsin had given up one play of 40 yards or more in the first six games. The first two touchdowns Illinois scored went for more than 40 yards. One of them came on a missed tackle on a slant route. Another one was a 40-plus yard touchdown run from running back Reggie Corbin. So... That was a part of it, but the most telling quote to me after the game came from one of the Badgers' senior leaders, outside linebacker Zach Bond. He said it was kind of a trap game playing here in Champaign against a team like Illinois. And he also said, I feel like we didn't have the fire we had in previous games going into it and had a lot of missed opportunities. That was a very surprising quote to me. Now, there are other guys on the team that said we were totally prepared. But you're right. Uh, certainly from an outsider's perspective, you say, well... Were they looking ahead to Ohio State? Because next week yeah. next week would have been two top six teams, both undefeated, and it would have been one of the biggest games for Wisconsin in Big Ten play this decade. And now it obviously doesn't carry the same amount of steam. I kind of hope for their sake it was a look-ahead game because there were some things happening there in the fourth quarter where Illinois was, was basically pushing them around in the run game. And that tells me if they were – if that is them playing – their hardest, trying their hardest, that Ohio State's just going to out-athlete them and beat them by, by like four touchdowns. So they better hope that was a, a look-ahead game. I thought even if Wisconsin had won this game, it would have been tremendously difficult for the Badgers to go into Columbus and win that game just based on 
how well Ohio State has played. I know we talked a lot for the first six games about how great Wisconsin had played, but the Buckeyes look like they've got the best team they've had since they won the national championship, and in some stretches, maybe they're even better. It's it's kind of crazy to say that. So this game created even more questions for Wisconsin, obviously, and it does make you wonder what will they have next week against Ohio State because they're going to have to play a perfect game in my mind or certainly close to perfect just to have a chance down in Columbus. What Was there any sense, Jesse, during the week that this may be kind of a letdown game? Or I, I realize everybody in town is probably asking these guys about Ohio State constantly and, and overlooking Illinois. But Paul Christ and his crew don't seem like the type that overlook anybody. So is, is this something that just kind of seeped in or, or was it a surprise to everybody? I really think it was a surprise to everybody. And I actually asked inside linebacker Chris Orr that, that very question. And, um, you know, he said we ex- they executed their game plan better than, than we did. We were totally locked in. We weren't looking ahead. They just outplayed us today. And one of the things Chris has said, and, and he's probably the most vocal leader on the entire team, he says this regularly that whoever they play are just a bunch of nameless, faceless opponents. And I know that sounds cliche, but... I feel like Wisconsin, as you said, with Paul Christ as the head coach, does such a great job of not really looking ahead. It doesn't matter if they're playing Kent State, who they played a few weeks ago. It doesn't matter if they're playing Michigan, and it shouldn't matter if they play Illinois. I just think once they got onto the field, they made some critical mistakes that they had not made uh, to this point in the season. Is there a chance, Jesse, that, that Illinois is just kind of turning a corner? Because, you know, we saw them spot Michigan a 28-point lead last week, and then they stormed back and almost came back and won that game. Is it is it possible that this team's just getting better? You know, that that's a hard question to answer because we're still talking about a, an Illinois team that a month ago lost to Eastern Michigan and gave up 42 to Nebraska and 40 to Minnesota. And I know that they, as you said, they came back against Michigan, still gave up 42 points. So I I suppose I would ask what, what does turning the corner mean? Certainly this is a huge win, biggest win for Lovey Smith at Illinois. Uh, But the question is, can you carry that over? They're three and four this season. They're one and three in conference play. They've got to play Purdue. They've got a, a game against Rutgers, but Will they make a bowl game? I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure. They're they're obviously going to give themselves an opportunity with a win like that, but it's a, it's the biggest win of of his tenure at Illinois, no question about it. What what does this mean for the Big Ten West now? Because I think we had all just sort of spotted Wisconsin into Indianapolis, and it didn't matter if they won in Columbus or not. But now, you know, look, they're probably not going to win in Columbus, and this makes that Iowa game. A must-win game, probably. I, I would think I was really the the one that would be the challenger, but Minnesota is undefeated still. Uh, is this now in doubt that that Wisconsin could lose the Big Ten West? Yeah, I, I think now everything's in play, right? You lose at Illinois, and, and the question is, well, <laughs> where where won't you lose if you play like this? They've still got to play at Nebraska, and they, as you said, they've got Iowa at home. The regular season finale is at Minnesota, and the Gophers have quietly started seven and zero and four and zero in the Big Ten. And as you said, if Wisconsin goes to Illinois, or excuse me, goes to Ohio State next week and loses a second game, well, then you're two in the loss column behind Minnesota, and you've still got some of your tougher games ahead. So it's certainly not going to be a gimme. I still think that they're going to give themselves an opportunity, but you're going to wind up needing some help from other teams too. 
So given what you've seen so far this season, because this is a question everybody's going to be asking, because this, this will still be the toughest opponent Ohio State has played all season. What does Wisconsin have to do to have a chance to win at the Horseshoe? I think it's all the things that Wisconsin generally does well and a lot of the things the Badgers didn't do well against Illinois. First of all, they committed three turnovers and wound up giving up 17 points off those turnovers. You certainly can't go into Ohio State, do that, and expect to have any chance. Um, so that's that's the first thing that comes to mind. They've got to be able to run the ball effectively and mix in the pass. I think these last few games, teams have really tried to, to slow Jonathan Taylor, and, and for the most part, they've had some success. Jonathan averaged 4.7 yards a carry against Illinois, and Michigan State really bottled him up, but at least Wisconsin was able to do some things through the air. I, I think that the wide receivers are going to have to be really important for Wisconsin against Ohio State. And defensively, I'm really interested to see what Justin Fields will do um, and the wide receiver core as well, and J.K. Dobbins, really the, the entire offense. But I, I think Wisconsin's secondary has shown sometimes it can be susceptible um, to big plays or if, if they can get the wide receivers out in space. So they're going to have to play their best game defensively, which is saying something considering they've already had four shutouts. Is, is that what the better teams are going to have to do against Jonathan Taylor? Just let him get his his 4.8 yards a carry or whatever it is and, and, and hope he doesn't hit any home runs and then try to make uh, Jack Cohn beat him? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Jonathan had a 22-yard run early in the game against Illinois, and outside of that, they really did a good job of bottling him up. We know how valuable he is to Wisconsin. He carried the ball 28 times against Illinois. And, and I will say, for, for people listening, Jack Cohn has been tremendous this season for Wisconsin. He came into the Illinois game completing over 76% of his passes, which was number two in the FBS behind LSU quarterback Joe Burrow. So he's been everything Wisconsin could ask for. But at the same time, if you're the other team and you're the defense, you say, who are you going to uh, try to make us, you know, beat us? It's You're going to say Jack Cohn instead of Jonathan Taylor. So... Obviously, it worked with Illinois, and I think a lot of other teams are going to implement that strategy too because you certainly don't want to let Jonathan Taylor run wild. No, that, that, is, that is the worst possible scenario, but it does seem like you can control them a little bit if you keep him from popping you know, for 35, 40, 60, 75, you name it. Uh, you know, who, who on the outside can really stretch a defense? Because it does seem like they're, a little, they're, they're better suited for that than they were last year. In terms of the wide receivers, guys that can stretch it? Yeah. Well, I think this is one of the better wide receiver cores that they have had, uh, certainly in quite some time, and perhaps in the discussion of ever. That sounds like hyperbole, I know, but Quintez Cephas, to me... It is Wisconsin. It's okay. Quintez Cephas, to me, is just an exceptionally special player with what he can do. His physicality is so evident, and he can he can go get the deep ball and he loves to block for his other wide receivers. They really have four wide receivers that, that can make plays. Quintez Cephas and Danny Davis are the two that probably stand out most. Danny Davis uh, can go and get a 50-50 ball against anyone. He catches a lot of one-handed passes. A.J. Taylor's a senior. He's more of like a very precise in his route running. And Kendrick Pryor is, is a speedy guy. He had a big-time catch against Illinois. He had a long touchdown run against Michigan State on a jet sweep. That's one thing they like to do is the jet sweep to try to get their playmakers in space. They'll probably have to try some of that against Ohio State. So I think they have the playmakers on the outside. Now, can they take that next step and do it consistently against Ohio State? I don't know. Well, we, we will find out next week. But Jesse, before I let you go, there's a very important question I have to ask. Yes. What is, is it? Lovey, is Lovey Smith's beard as magnificent in person as it seems on television? Every bit as magnificent. He deserves all the love and praise showered upon him 
for the glorious beard. I, I, I don't know what it is. Like, it, it just makes me happy when I see him with that beard. And that's it for today's show. And what a weekend it was in college football. So much stuff happened. It's really hard to pack into one show. But Tua Tungavailoa hurt ankle again. We don't know how long he's going to be out. Nick Saban says a week or two. Well, that means he'd be back for LSU, but we'll have to see. Wisconsin loses to Illinois. Penn State survives against Michigan. Les Miles almost beats Texas. We get our first set of two-point conversion penalty kicks in Blacksburg. Florida State sums up the Willie Taggart era in, in about three plays in a loss at Wake Forest. And then... We didn't even get a chance to talk about Oregon beating Washington and getting a stranglehold on the Pac-12 North. But that is the situation. Oregon, it's yours to lose now. What a weekend. I got a feeling we're going to get more of these as the season goes on because there's just the, the games are stacking up. The good games are coming fast and furious now. We're getting some surprising stuff too. So remember to subscribe rate review we love those five-star reviews you can say a little more than is a podcast but we appreciate if you just say it is a podcast because that is what we're trying to do here come back friday you athletic subscribers and those of you who want to subscribe to the athletic because you want to pay a latte a month and get the best sports writing in the world and some of the best podcasts in the world come back on friday we'll be talking wisconsin ohio state michigan and notre dame and Auburn LSU. These weeks only get better. These shows only get better. So subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Come get the Friday show by subscribing to The Athletic. That's theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. Theathletic.com slash A-N-D-Y-S-T-A-P-L-E-S. And let's have a great week because next weekend's going to be even better.